Welcome to The Way Church Service with Pastor John. We invite you to join us at 514 Smithfield Avenue in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. Welcome, everybody, to the Way Church Service. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. Amen. First and foremost, I'd like to thank our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus. All glory and honor goes to our risen Savior for making all this possible for us, right? Going to the cross, becoming obedient unto death, and shedding his blood for the forgiveness of our sins and the sins of the world, and becoming the final sacrifice, Lord. So we can have a new life, spiritual life, eternal life, and a new purpose here on planet Earth. We gather here to learn about our Creator and find our purpose here and use it to glorify God and to serve our Lord and Savior and one another. Our goal, this ministry has a specific goal, and that's to grow spiritually, amen? And start to handle life God's way, not our way. God's Word, which is the Bible, becomes the owner's manual to our lives, and we use it to see how God wants us to live, think, act, serve, and how to treat others. Thank you, Jesus. Each part of his body is very precious to God. That's why the Bible calls us to an assembly. Each one of us connects the body and makes it complete. One body, many parts. We all part of the same body, and we all belong to God. Thank you, Jesus. I want to personally welcome each and every one of you to the way. We depend on God's grace, thank God, not our own power, to accomplish His will for our lives. And if you have a cell phone, can you please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's service? And we'll start off with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity, Lord, again, to gather together to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord, and put your name above all names, even our own, Lord, as we grow in your grace and knowledge and fight to put you first in our lives, Lord. Thank you for getting us all here safely, Lord. Thank you for providing each and every one of us with the needs to be met to survive each and every day, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for each other. Thank you for giving us this assembly and this church body, Lord. Help us never to take it for granted, Lord, and always to build it up. Lord, never to tear it down, Lord, while we're here and when we're not, as we always represent you, Lord, through your ministry. Thank you, Lord, for giving us lives, Lord, that live honorably to please you, Lord, and not ourselves as you. Slowly crucify our flesh, Lord, and we become more and more like your son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your matchless grace and tender-hearted mercies that begin afresh every morning, Lord, as you renew our minds through your word, Lord and transform our very hearts, Lord. And we're so grateful for that, Lord. I say a special prayer for this country tonight as it is in turmoil, Lord. And I pray for all the men in in service, Lord, that you protect them, Lord, as this nation goes through many, many changes, Lord. Protect them, Lord, as we should always honor the men and women who protect our country, Lord. As we always pray for our president and the people of honor, Lord, so you can touch their heart, Lord. And they could lead this country the way you would have it be led, Lord, not them. And we pray that you get inside, Lord, and do that for us, Lord, as your faithful believers, Lord. Help us, Lord, to pray for them, even though we don't agree, Lord, as you call us to do that, Lord, through the name of Jesus Christ, Father. Thank you for that, Lord. And just protect them, Lord. Protect all the people that serve and keep us safe, Lord. Protect them, Lord. So no harm may come to them through Satan's attacks, Lord. And through any oppressive states, Lord. Any any oppressive countries that might try to come and try to rule over us, Lord. Give them the strength to protect us, Lord. So we can always worship you freely, Lord. As the world grows more and more darker, Lord. Let us show more and more of your light with our lives, Lord. So they can see Jesus in such a Awesome opportunity you give us, Lord, to show your son now. Help us, Lord, to treat others the way you would want us to have us treated, Lord. The golden rule that you give us through your word, Lord. 
And let everything we do tonight be led by your spirit and not our flesh. It's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen, amen and amen. All right, we're going to stand and worship the Lord, and we're going to get started. The girls are going to come up. We're on page 29. I told you not to tell anybody how old I was. Yeah, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> Lost are saved, find their way at the sound of the great name of Thank you. 
Great job. It sounded awesome. How's everybody doing tonight? All right? Oh, I'm doing better now, right? Thank you, Jesus, right? Whew. It's good to see everybody. I know I'm glad I'm here. Like I always say, I always get a sense of more comfort when I'm with people like-minded. You know, it's like, I, I, it's funny, like trying to have conversations with people that don't know God. It's like, wow, they really don't, because now that their eyes are opened, now we see what they don't see. And it's like, wow, they're so blinded. What can I do? I can't get their eyes open. What I have to do is pray. All I can do is pray. And beyond that frustration, when I start to get frustrated, it's time to stop and it's time to pray. Because whenever anybody gets frustrated on what's going on out there, you're trying to do what only God can do. You're trying to play God. And when you try to play God, you'll never find any peace or enjoyment in your Christian walk. Amen? You'll get frustrated and miserable. And that's not... Jesus came to spare us from all that. So we don't have to get that way. Time, I, I realize in my Christian walk, it's like when I start getting like that, I'm like... I'm all set. I'm not. I'm done. And I'll go right back to the word again. Right, refocused. Say, you know, God's in control of this. He said He would take care of it, and I'm going to trust in Him. He's going to do it in His way, not mine. Amen. My ways aren't the right ways because if my ways were the right ways, I wouldn't need a savior. So it's not about being right or wrong. He's always right. So we just lean on Him as our King. Amen. And we'll be okay. That's what he says, so I believe it. I definitely believe him over what's going on, what these people are saying out there. I'll tell you that. To trust in men, the Bible says you're a fool to trust in what people say. So, trust in the Lord. He'll take care of you. All right. Before we get to our study, we're going to go into Romans chapter 15 over there. Some awesome scripture. First, got to get a smile out of everybody. Come on. I'm looking. I'm waiting. I don't care what you did today. What happened to you? Smile. Jesus is in control now. Right? Put all your cares aside. Listen, the Spirit wants to talk to us tonight from the church. And we'll get an awesome message if we're focused. Amen? Amen. Okay. This always ties in what we're going to be talking about anyway. It's just... The Bible always ties in. If you, if you, talk, if you read the Bible the right way, there's no contradictions ever in it. Never. When you, when you look at it in its proper context, it's never any contradiction. When you look at it in the spirit, you'll never have any conflict with the Bible. When you look at it in the flesh, you kind of scratch your head and say, how could that be? It goes way beyond our not. His, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He knows more than we know. He created us. Like I said, you go outside and look. If you can make any of this happen out here, stars and moon, all this air, and we breathe, if you can make that happen... Well, then you can trust in your own thoughts. But other than that, I'm going to trust in God. Amen? Amen. He's the one that holds all this together. Amen. Okay. Look at verse 13. We'll start there. Apostle Paul praying. I pray that God, the source of hope, right there and then, all Christians, God is the source of hope. Not what's going on in, out there. God is the only source of hope that we should rely on. Okay? Hope will fill you completely with joy. Look, he's saying, I pray that the God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. See, when you trust in Him, He fills you with joy and peace. It passes all understanding. But when you trust in what you see and what you think, you'll never have any peace and joy. And that's why there's a lot of Christians that don't have any peace and joy because they're dependent on their understanding. They're not trusting in what God says. And that's a process as we learn and read His Word, right? As we read through it again, we start to get a deeper meaning of what He's saying in the Bible to us in a spiritual sense. Now look what it says. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now you know it as well as I do. If you look at what's going on around us, we're not running around full of hope and joy because we see all this stuff going on. But the Bible says right here, if you want that, he says he will fill you completely with joy because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit, not the flesh. You see, now you can say, wow, today's a good day. I don't care what's going on. My hope is in the Lord. He's going to get us through and he's going to protect us. 
The Bible even told people, don't, don't rely on your mighty army, because they will fail. If you trust in them more than you trust in me. He causes nations to rise and he causes nations to fall. Amen? I'm putting my trust in God. He's going to protect this nation. Amen? That's what we all should be praying for. For God to protect the nation, not people. Because he's the only one that can. Now look what it says in verse 14. I am fully convinced. See, this is something that Paul said. See what he says, I'm fully convinced? Now I have to ask you, are you fully convinced what the Bible is telling you is the tr ultimate truth? If you're fully convinced, then you have no problems and you won't have any, un you'll be joyful all the time. If you're fully convinced. But not everybody is fully convinced on what's being said. That's why we all go in turmoil. It says, I am fully convinced. How is he fully convinced? By studying it over and over again. And what else? Putting it to the test and into practice. See it? My dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. You know these things so well, you can teach each other all about them. Even so, I have been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that all you need is this reminder. For by God's grace... See, that's what we're going to be talking about, God's grace, right? Here it is right there. I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is what makes the church holy, not the flesh. When the flesh starts operating in the church, it becomes unholy. It's the Holy Spirit would operate in the church that keeps our flesh at bay. When you bring your flesh to church, you always find differences in opinions and what's wrong and everything that's going on and seeing problems. Instead of saying, hey, you know what? We're all filled with the Spirit. Let's just stay in the Spirit and let God do the work. Can you get an amen for that? Okay. You with me so far? It's going to get better. Trust me. Just stay with me. Now look what it says. So I have reason to be enthusiastic. Verse 17. Look what he's saying. Right now, right? Do you have a reason to be enthusiastic? You see, everything went the opposite way than what we wanted out there. But he's saying he still has reason to be enthusiastic because even though it might look like God's not in control, he is. And he's going to stay in control. Amen? As long as you keep... Look, he says he works it all out for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. You see, here's the thing. When we go back and live for our purpose, things ain't going to work out well for you. But when you go and live for his purpose, things will work out well for you. The problem is, we're down here building our kingdom. He says, I saved you to stop doing that and stop building mine. See, we get saved and keep building our kingdom. He says, no, I saved you to stop doing building your kingdom and build mine. Remember what they were doing back in the Old Testament? saying, you guys are building all your houses. My temple lays in ruin. You're not supporting the temple. You're supporting everything you want, but you're not supporting God's house. He said, I'm the one who provided all that stuff. He says, no, you have to stop building your temple and stop building mine. <laughs> That's biblical. That's in the Old Testament, all through it. Even Solomon. Do you realize Solomon's temple was three times bigger than God's? That he built for himself. Yeah, God gave him all the riches. He built one bigger than God's. That's the human nature. We always want more. All right, we'll take care of God. But, no, no. Ours has got to be the best. Outward. You see that? And then in God's house, what? Suffers and struggles. While everybody else's house is doing great and prosperous, right? The truth struggles. But that's okay. God takes care of it. And look what it says about all that Christ Jesus has done through me and my service to God. Look at verse 18. I Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. He always gave glory to God. Everybody remember just now, we're reading the account in the Old Testament about Joseph when, he, when um, Pharaoh needed his dream read. He says, I, I can't read dreams. He says, but I know my God can. So he gave glory to God, even though God gifted him to do it. He knew it was God that gave him the gift to do it. See, what a Christian should do, always glorify God when you get something from God. Whenever the gifts come, you glorify God and don't take credit for it yourself. So I did this for my hard work. 
No, God's the one who gifted you with the ability to do it. He's the one that should always get the glory for what you have today. Amen? That's the right attitude. Okay, that was great scripture. Okay, let's go to our study. We're going to go into our... Remember we talked about God's grace and how God's grace works. And it's a very big, big misunderstanding in the church today about what God's grace is really meant to do for us. Okay? And I'm going to explain it biblically. We're going to put all our thoughts aside and let the Bible talk to us what the grace of God really means for us. Okay? Okay. So let's stay focused. We're going to be talking about how grace works, and we're going to really use the scripture in Titus chapter 2, but I'm just going to read through what we recapped last week. I'm going to read right through it, and we're going to get into the, we're going to keep moving forward with this, amen? If you want to get more depth, go back and listen to the first one, okay? Our subject today is the grace of God and how it works in our lives, okay? It's arguably the most important concept for you to understand and live by in the battle to be godly, okay? Because it is so important, the enemy of our souls has created much confusion and controversy on this topic. But if you can fight your way clear in understanding and applying God's grace, you will experience a close relationship with God and a consistent victory over sin. Amen? Closer to God and a victory over sin. And we're going to begin in Ephesians 2.8. We're going to start there. I'm going to read right through. And we know that God saved us by His grace. But then again, just like the rest of the world when it wants to know something, why can't I touch the hot stove? Why can't I do this? And why can't I do this as a Christian? Why can't I do... And why? Okay, well, how about... You have asked the question, why did God bother to save me? Why did he save me? Why did God save me? So I can just keep doing what I was doing? Or was there a purpose behind why salvation is? Let's find out what the Bible says about that. How's that? Verse 8. Go right to it. For God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for his grace for this. It's a gift from God. Thank God that salvation is a gift and, he can't, and you can't get it taken from you. We know that, right? Everybody know that here? It's a gift from God, right? God doesn't take his gifts back. That's what saved us, his grace. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Here it is, verse 10. Key verse. For we are God's masterpiece. Before we got saved, we were not God's masterpiece. After we did, we become his masterpiece. We have become his children. He sees us blameless and perfect in his eyes now. Thank you, Jesus. But what he did at the cross, he sees everybody that way. Can I get an amen for that? Thank God. I don't see myself that way. And I don't see other people that way. But I'm working on it. I'm working on the understanding. Now he says, why? Look, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew. Not in Adam anymore. We're not in Adam anymore. We're in Christ Jesus. Look. Why? Why has he created us anew in Christ Jesus? So we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. What do you mean? What stopped me from doing the good things that he planned for me? What was it? Does anybody know what the good thing what stopped us from doing God's will? Our sin nature stopped us from doing the will of God. So he says, I come to save you from that. So you can do my will. Can I get an amen for that? It's not people. It's not the world. It's not your surroundings. It's you. You need to be saved so you can do the good things that he's planned for you long ago. Amen? Okay. We got that down, right? All right. Go with me to Romans 6. We talked about this last week, and we're going to keep moving forward with this. I never really realized how powerful God's grace was until I actually used it for the right reason. Verse 5. We're going to move right into what we're going to talk about. We're going to go right through these scriptures. I'm not going to stop. Right? 
So stay focused. Everybody focused? Yes. Pay attention. This is important. If you really want to understand what God's grace is and how powerful it can be in your life, listen and listen right. Listen good, okay? Since we have been united with him in his death, right, we have also been raised to life as he was. We will also be raised to life as he was. See, it says we will also, so that means it's a work in progress. You see it? We will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. Do you know that? Do you know that it was crucified? Here it is. It's telling you we're crucified with Christ. Why? Why was our old sinful self crucified with Christ? So that sin might lose its power in our lives. You know it as well as I do. Our sin nature has, is powerful in our lives. When we want to get our way, we get our way. No matter if saved or unsaved. We still have this sin nature to contend with. You say, wow, how can I overcome that? And whenever I want my way, it takes over me. Or whenever my lusts come and I do what I want to do, it just takes over me. It's the struggle with sin, right? How many of us still struggle with sin? Thank you. Oh, God. Everybody does. Oh, good. We get a good church. We all admit it. You can't, you can't fix anything you don't admit. You can't fix a problem you don't admit you have. We have a problem with our sin nature. It always gets the best of us. Now look what it says. We are no longer slaves to sin. What is a slave to sin? A sin, you know that it's wrong and you go glue it anyway. You can't stop doing it. You can't stop. It just controls you. You're a slave. You're possessed by it. And you know God says no. And you still say yes. Can I get an amen for that? How many of us still try to control sin? How's it working? The more you try to control sin, the more it controls you. The more it controls you. That's what willpower does. It makes you not do something that you still want to do. See? But self-control is God giving us a new desire not to do it. We don't care. We don't want it anymore. See, it's different. When you don't have the desire for something, you won't do it. Like I can use an example. I really don't like liver or the smell of liver. I mean, you can put it in front of me and I'll never eat it. Because I don't like the smell of it or the taste of it. Right? I don't like it. So that's what God does with our sin is he renews our mind. He makes us not like sin anymore. Even though he puts it in front of us, we don't want it anymore. See? That's the, we outgrow it. We have a new, renewed mind. So we don't want them desires anymore. Amen? He's given us new desires. When you have a new desire, you don't have any more old desires because your old sin nature is dead. You have new desires which are focused on God in building his kingdom. Can I get an amen? Are we understanding this? Very simple. That's what it takes. It takes simple-mindedness to really grasp this. Now look what it says. For when, he, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. See it? How come it says I was set free from it and why am I still... Why is it still controlling me? Because I'm really not understanding what it's saying here. Let's listen to me now. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. So we understand. Are you sure of that? That Christ was raised from the dead? If you're sure of that, you won't have any problem understanding it. Look what it says. We are sure that of, the, of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. When he was alive in the flesh, he died and became spirit so he could overcome sin. That's what it's saying. See, the spirit doesn't sin. You get it? The flesh does. Jesus was saying, your flesh has to die, and you have to be born again spiritually for you to be able to not sin. Or not let sin control you anymore. Get it? Very simple. You are now a spiritual person. I now have the Spirit of God living in me, and the Spirit of God is now trying to control me. When my sin nature used to control me, the Spirit of God is starting to control me. It's a, it's a process. Right? He doesn't fully control us, or else we wouldn't sin anymore. Right? right? We're a work in progress. 
It's starting to control us. If you're growing, if you're not growing, sin will always take over and control you. That's how, how do you know if I'm growing? Well, sin is not as powerful as it was in my life anymore. That's how I know I'm growing spiritually. That's how you know. Look what it says. He lives, but now that he lives, look, now that you're dead here and you're born again, the Bible tells us that we live for the glory of God now. You see, the problem is, Christians go back and live for the glory of themselves. You're not living to live for the glory of God anymore. You're still going back and do the things that you want to do. It's not glorifying God, you're glorifying yourself. And this is what happens. Now look what it says. So, <laughs> when he died, he died once. But now that he lives, look at verse 11. So you should also consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Now here it is in verse 12. See, that's how you know it becomes passive to active. Once you get saved and get born again, now it becomes active. It says, do not let sin control the way you live. So what do you mean, don't let it? That means it's going to try, and now it's up to you not to let it. That he's given you the power not to let it control you anymore. That's what God's grace is for. So it doesn't let it, so you don't have to let it control you anymore. Can I get an amen? Very simple. Hard though, isn't it? Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not let sin reign in your body which is subject to death. Or do not give in to sinful desires. Look at verse 13. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, this is what God is trying to do in each believer's life. Give yourself completely to God. What we are not doing is giving ourselves completely to God. We're giving some of ourselves to God, but we're not giving all of ourselves to God. Because if you gave all of yourselves to God, you'd have more power than you could ever imagine. And he says, seek me in my kingdom above everything else, and all these things will be added unto you. The problem is we don't do it that way. He says, all right, drop what you're doing and do it my way. Remember when said, Jesus said, come follow me? What did they do? They dropped the nets, stopped whatever they were doing, and went and followed Jesus. They just stopped. Now, is that something literal? No, we know we still have to go to work. And we still have to do the things we have to do. But the motive changed now. Now that we do them things, we do it for the glory of God, not ourselves. All that changes is the motive. Now you go to work, you shut up and glorify God with your, with your mouth. Instead of letting everybody else tear everybody down, you build them up. Say, I'm just grateful I got a job today. I'm grateful that then people that are talking about me really give me that much space in their mind. <laughs> I must be really important. See, if you look at it the right way, wow, you're really thinking that much of me, huh? It might not have been in the right way, but nonetheless, they were thinking of you. Now you're saying, wow, if they're thinking of me, maybe I can get Christ in on this one. If they're thinking of me so much and tearing me down, Maybe I can show them Jesus now because they're paying attention. They're focusing. If they're paying, if they if they're tearing you down, that means they're focusing on what you're doing. Yeah. So what? If you want to switch shift it now, so I can show them God now. Amen. You want to see what I'm doing? I'm going to live for Jesus now. Yeah. I'm going to show the shift. Get it? Yeah. He doesn't say D take off and go somewhere else. He says no, stay right where I put you, and now you're going to glorify me with your life. Don't run, stay. And you see the difference in somebody's life changes. When you change, it starts to permeate and change the environment around you. One person. Jesus changed the world. He doesn't say take off. No, he says, I want you to stay where you are and start building my kingdom right where you are. And it starts with you. Don't run. He says, joy, grow. now's the battlefield. Here it is. You sent me here. This is my mission field. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to become like Jesus. And they're going to see me, and I'm going to build this kingdom from here on in. Now I have a purpose for where I am. Get it? Now you live with purpose. Now you're living for the glory of God. Okay. Instead, give yourself completely to God, for you were dead spiritually, verse 13. But now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. 
For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. What do you mean the freedom of God's grace? You know what Christians do? I'm free to live whatever way I want now. I'm God's, God's grace. I'm free to live the way I used to live again. Do you really think that's what it is? Do you really think God gave you the grace to keep sinning? Really, honestly, if you really evaluate that question, if I asked you, did God give you the grace so you can go live your life the way you want to live it? No, you all know that's not true. Whether you try to justify it or not, or maybe you'll find somewhere that it does, and you'll stay there just to bury your conscience. But that's not what it means. Look what it says. Sin is no longer the man. You live under the freedom. What is the freedom? Freedom to do God's will, right? To do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Not our will. He, Jesus, did for us what we could not do for ourselves. What did he do for us? He killed our sin nature and live a new nature. Live in the new nature. He gave us, he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We couldn't become like Jesus without him, without him dying and giving us spiritual life. Now I have the ability to glorify God and live in the spirit. You know how much power you, you don't even know what kind of power you have. You have resurrection power. People do not get it. They still live under their power. And you try to live this Christian life in your power? What a hard day I had today. Mm. You know what that's like saying? It's like God don't know what he's doing. So I'm going to take over. How many of us are taking over their lives and doing, without, doing something God's not telling you to do? Hey, how many of us moved from where God said stay because I didn't like my environment? Jesus says, if you're saved, you're going to have to suffer for my name's sake. If you try to run away from suffering, well, then you never really get born again or saved. You're saved so you could suffer and can handle it. And glorify God with it. To live a life worthy of the call. Which you're also called to suffer for his name's sake. And right now, if you're living for the glory of God, you will suffer down here for his name's sake. But if you don't want to suffer, you'll run. I don't want to suffer. I want to be happy. I'm going to be happy down here. My life, I deserve to be happy. That's what people think. Christians think I deserve to be happy. Don't you remember that this is not our permanent home? Happiness comes later. Glorification of God comes now. Not your happiness. If you're coming to church because you want to be happy, you came for the wrong reason. Happiness is, the Bible says, joy in the Lord is my strength. Joyful what? Joyful that God saved me for a purpose and I'm going to land in heaven someday. And it doesn't matter what I have to go through now. When you go through something now and you complain about it, you're just being a selfish, spoiled brat. <laughs> Little kids are all right with it, right? But when somebody gets bigger, that really doesn't look good in the world's viewpoint. What do you think most people get angry for? Because something's not going their way. Can you hear me amen for that? Well, this is a real church. Like, I'm sorry if you want some fluffy message like I'm going to heaven. You're going to heaven. What else do we do from there on in? Salvation is a one-time event. Heaven's our home guarantee. What do we do now? Just say that all day? Or maybe find out why he saved us and actually do it. And actually build a church that actually honors God. And the ones that don't want God, they're either going to leave and go find somewhere they don't really honor God. They just get a fluffy message, put some money in the basket, and go live their life. Never get transformed. For every reason why we got saved. Why would I need to change if I don't think I need a change? This is the problem with Christianity. I'm, there's nothing wrong with my life. What do I need to change for? Everything's good. That's dangerous. You're better off hitting rock bottom. At least you know you need to change. Because when, when, when everything's going well for you down here, you don't see any need for change. Mm -hmm. What do I need to change for? My life is just fine. I got everything I want. Things are good. So God says, oh yeah, they're good, huh? Then something happens. Something happens to drive you back to your knees again. 
because he loves you. He says, look, you can't, it doesn't work that way. Why do you think when something catastrophic happens out in the world, everybody gets together to help each other? Why don't they do that when things are going well? <laughs> no, we're going to wait for a disaster for people to help yeah. each other. Yeah. Instead of saying, why don't, I just help, why don't we just help each other now and keep from disaster? Yeah. Amen. No, we're going to wait till everybody falls apart before we help them. Can I get any men for that? Amen. If you only live by the principle of saying, you know what? Do one to others, I will have them done unto me. There probably there wouldn't be any disasters. Mm-hmm. You'd already have heaven on earth. Yeah. Why do you think he sends all these things? I mean, God sends the plagues, by the way. Yeah. He sends the bugs. Yeah. He sends the torment. He sends the storms. He sends the, the ocean. He sends the hurricanes. He sends the tornadoes. And after it's all over, people are like, wow, the power. And they even say it. Go to insurance company and say, oh, we don't cover acts of God. Yeah. They already know what they're from. Right? Go try to get insurance on something. We don't cover it. That's an act of God. Oh, so you know where it came from. But you're just not going to cover it. But we don't believe in them. But they're acts of God. I'm an atheist, but it's an act of God. Can I get it? This is true. I don't believe in God, but we don't cover acts of God. Oh, okay. These are insurance companies. Go to an insurance company. They'll tell you right out, and it's be written down, acts of God. Storms, hurricane, hailstorms, all that stuff. Because if you want that covered, you have to pay extra for that. <laughs> if you want acts of God covered, there's more, it's going to pay more. How do I know that? Because I know. Because I know that I have to fix cars with hail damage. They call hailstorms acts of God. Back in the Old Testament, when God sent hail, the size of softballs. Just imagine getting hit by one of them. He says in the end, the revelation is going to be even bigger than that, the size of basketballs. Just imagine getting hit by a piece of hail the size of a basketball. Don't worry, the Bible says it's clear, it's coming. He's going to protect his kids, but let me tell you something for people who don't believe. That's why everybody in your family should be going, you should try to get them saved because they, you don't understand the torment that's coming. People don't realize the warning. It's coming. The warnings are here. The birth pains are here. The plagues and the disasters are coming faster and faster and more and more. And nobody's, you want your family, they have to believe in Jesus. If they don't believe in Jesus, they're in for trouble. There's no, there's no other way. All the more that it's urgent that your people in your family or your life should be with Jesus. Nobody, everybody thinks tomorrow. Huh? We'll deal with that tomorrow. Yeah, right. The Bible says in a blink of an eye it's going to come. Yep. Are you ready? Do you want other people ready? Do you want other people to come with you? And it's up to you to get them there. Yeah. Oh, you can believe whatever you want. Well, you ain't going to heaven. There's only one way to get there. Yep. Believe in Jesus. Yep. Jesus Christ is your Savior. Yep. No other way. There is no other way. Every other spirit is from the devil. But they come as an angel of light. Oh, they're good spirits. Okay, they're good spirits, all right. Okay, let's just keep moving. (laughs) That wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit speaking there. All right. God's grace permeated Paul's thinking, okay? Paul cannot think of Christian truth and conduct apart from God's grace. Okay, the expression the grace of God may fairly be said to be the key word of Paul's theology. It is God's grace. We cannot think of Christian salvation apart from the grace of God. Agreed? Okay. The classic definition is the best one. God's grace is his unmerited favor. God's grace means that God showered favor and blessing on those who did not in any way deserve or earn it. They deserved his judgment and wrath, but he showed them favor instead. So when you say down here, I deserve a better life, the Bible says, no, you deserve judgment. That's putting yourself on a throne. I deserve better. 
See, it read it right here. It says it right there. Now look. Now I'm going to show you. They deserve the judgment. God's pure grace gets polluted or twisted from two sides. Two sides now. Stay with me. On one side, grace runs counter to the way the world works. So it's difficult for us to grasp it and get used to it. Okay? The world works on the merit system. Okay? If you do well in school, you get good grades, right, and win awards. If you do well in sports, you make the team and get a lot of applause. If you go get into college, the merit system continues to reward excellence. This carries over into the business world after college. Exceptional performance earns promotions and raises. Sloppy performance will get you fired. Just imagine if God worked on the merit system. You're a sloppy Christian. You're fired. <laughs> Into the lake of fire with you. Oh, we're all in trouble, right? Lock them doors. We're in trouble. It doesn't work on that system. But it's hard for us to grasp as Christians. We think we have to do things in a merit system to get God's favor. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Oh, if I just go to church more, if I just put more money in, if I just understand better, if I just more nice to people. Can I get an amen? That's what people think. That earns his favor. In the spiritual realm, okay, all of the world's religions, okay, except for biblical Christianity, which is what we practice here, work on the merit system too. Okay? Even the major branches of Christianity. And I'm not going to name which ones they are. You know what the major branches are, okay? They teach a system of merit salvation. Okay? You know that. Where you have to add your works to do what Christ did on the cross in order to go to heaven. Most believers who die go to purgatory. Where after suffering for a while, eventually you will have enough of your sins purged away and enough merit to qualify for heaven. That's religion. This merit system of salvation permeates the public mind. Okay? Ask anyone on the street his opinion of how a person gets into heaven and you will hear something about being a good person. It was at the heart of Pharisaic, legalistic religions in the time of Jesus and Paul. But God's grace also gets distorted from the another side. Listen up really good now. Here's the other distortion. Which mistakes the grace of God for licentiousness or a license to sin. It gets polluted on that side too. God's grace covers my sins. Don't worry, God's not holding them against me. God's grace is good and thank you. Wrong. Wrong concept. Both are wrong. Go to Jude. Go to Jude chapter 1. So you got the religious merit system, and then you got the what? Live it up. Don't worry about it. You're going to heaven. God's grace is for that. What system are you under right now? Are you being religious? Or are you being sloppy? Saying, I'm just going <laughs> to... Whatever. Whatever goes. What are you doing tonight? Let's go. Let's go tie it on. Let's go live it up. Let's go enjoy life tonight. Whatever that means. You think it's enjoyment, right? Then when you wake up the next morning and say, What did you do last night? I don't remember, but it had to be good. Look at verse 3 of Jude, chapter 1. There's only one chapter. We have to stop. Dear friends, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once and for all time to his holy people. I say this, look what he says here. Because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. Imagine, you know how to worm, right? You see what a worm does? It slithers its way in. Look what he, sa look what he says. 
has wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives, sinful lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago for they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Why have they denied Him? Because He died so you can stop sinning, not to keep sinning Him. By you doing that, you're denying what Jesus did on the cross. That's what you're doing. You're denying Him. Now look what it says. Look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. Jump down to 16. Who are these people in church? Who are these people he's talking about? Look at verse 16. These people are grumblers and complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves, and they flatter others to get what they want in church. So don't think that everybody in church is a believer because people worm their way in the church. You'll know my people by their fruit. Then you'll get, oh, I don't want anybody to be a fruit inspector. (laughs) Well, how else am I going to know what you believe in if I don't see what you're doing? Because what you do and where you live shows what you believe. How do you want to know? You know what somebody, you know how you know if somebody believes? Follow them for a day and see the way they live their life. Then you know if they're a believer or not. Then you'll know when they're not in church. Now look at verse 17. But you, my dear friends, must remember that the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers who purpose whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are created divisions among you in church. They follow their natural instincts. Why? Because they do not have God's spirit in them. So you're telling me that everybody comes to church has God's spirit in you? Jude just contradicted that. He says they don't have God's spirit in them. How do they know they don't have his spirit in them? They told you that there would be scoffers. I'm going to, I'm going to define scoffer. Said, What's a scoffer? I'm going to define it. Before we close, it's the last thing I'm going to do. They follow, the, the people are the ones who create divisions. There's people that come to church, and all they do is cause divisions and create problems in people's lives. They come in and grumble and complain and satisfy that, and they talk about what they do with their life. And their ungodliness outside the church. Stay away from people like that, the Bible says. These are the people who are creating divisions among you, for they follow their natural instincts. Because why, why do they follow this in nature? Because they don't have God's Spirit in them. You see it? And they're coming to church every week. Say amen. I, I hope it ain't you. I hope it ain't you. But there's somebody here that don't. The Bible tells us. There's a lot of Judases out there, trust me, in churches. That think they're going to heaven. They're in for a rude awakening. A changed life is evidence that you're saved. Trust me. That's the evidence. A changed life. Because you become what you believe, by the way. If you believe you're saved and a child of the king, you will stop becoming a child of the king. All right, before we close, a scoffer. What's a scoffer? Let's define it and we'll close from there. You take this with you, okay? A scoffer is a person who mocks or makes fun of someone or something, often of religion or moral values, an express of scorn, derision or contempt, an object of scorn, mockery, or derision, or... I discovered what that is now. Mocking? It's called memeing now. Memeing is mocking. What they do is they talk about other people and they get, and they, all they do is listen. What are they doing? A person who makes fun of someone or something and they get enjoyment out of it. Go on it. Go on memeing. Go look it up. Memeing. All they do is make fun of people. They're mockers. The Bible says it. They're scoffers. I hope it ain't you.
Because the Bible is clear what it teaches. When people get, get, get happy over someone else's downfall, that is what they call a scoffer. They make fun of somebody. You take that with you tonight. Oh, we're going to close there. When we get together again. We're, we're going to get more. Who needs grace tonight? <laughs> we need a lot of it, right? Amen. All right, we're going to close there. Something to think about. The girls are going to come up and sing, and we're going to close. Saying that's so beautiful, Britt. Now you can come up and close us while you're there. Well, I knew you were gonna do it. <laughs> I uh, felt voice. it. You felt it coming? I did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus, I just want to say thank you so much for the message that you brought through Pastor John tonight, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would have us go home, Lord. Listen to the message again. Let it penetrate deep within us, Lord. I pray, Lord, we would take this and spend that one-on-one -on -one time with you that we really need, Lord. I pray, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, that you would prompt us and show us what we need to see so that way we can live for you, Lord. I thank you for everything that you do for us each and every day, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to worship you freely. And we just pray for your heavy protection upon us, Lord. Thank you for everything. In your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night. Until we meet again. God bless. Peace.